Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Hosanna. My name is Jared Van Vorst, and I'm the Lakeville campus pastor here. And such a good time to worship together. Did you enjoy that this morning? Yeah, it was good. And if you're joining us from home or online, uh, welcome. We're glad you're with us as well. And uh, I'm going to invite our ushers forward to receive today's offering. Thank you so much, Hosanna, for living generously. You already heard one of the ways that your generosity makes an impact from Pastor Nathan at the top of the service. He talked about the 300 and some girls that were on a middle school girls retreat last week. Student Ministries actually puts on three retreats a year. They do a phenomenal job, and uh, your investment helps make that possible and helps transform lives. Another thing that's more recent, actually, just took place this last Friday. We had our drive-through date night for over 300 marriages, which is cool. Yeah, we can clap for that, too. And so your generosity is making an impact in terms of making an investment in uh, the lives of, of marriages and enriching marriages. And so we're, we're going to be healthier. We're going to be better for that as a church. So thank you for that. We're in a series called Teach Us to Pray. And Pastor Ryan kicked it off last week, and he talked about a number of different things. He focused in on that first portion of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father. He talked about Our Father. And one of the things that he said that sort of stuck out to us is uh, that prayer forms us. It helps us to become more like Jesus. Essentially, when the disciples of Jesus say, Jesus, teach us to pray, they're saying, teach us to be more like you. And so prayer forms us. And it's not just us as individuals, but us corporately. And so we recognize in prayer, particularly in the Lord's Prayer, there's a communal aspect to that as well. He also said something that I think is important for us to listen to, that prayer isn't just a monologue of us talking to God the entire time. There is that. But then there's also kind of an Eastern tradition that's attached to prayer and attached to who Jesus was as a person. And that we just take time to listen, just to be, to maybe even meditate at times. And then lastly, he said, prayer never really just ends with prayer, but it almost always leads to action, leads to action. And so we're going to carry that forward a little bit more in today's message as well. But we wanted, to, we wanted to just keep encouraging you, keep praying this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Pray it daily, maybe even pray it a number of times throughout the day. We've been saying maybe in the morning, at mealtimes and at night, or if you want to do it just in your car on your way to work, you can do that too. This, we believe this prayer is going to continue to form us as we step into our Easter season as well. And then if you're looking for any additional resources, we have some. Pastor Ryan mentioned a book, uh, 21 Seconds to Change Your World. That's available in the bookstore. I want to mention one other one. This is called The Lord and His Prayer by N.T. Wright. And he's a great writer, great thinker, great theologian. And this is more of a contextual, historical look at the Lord's Prayer. But it's only 69 pages. So super short, super accessible, really good read. This one's also available in the bookstore if you would like that as well. And I want to invite you to turn into your Bibles. If you brought them, uh, we're in Luke chapter 11. And uh, this is where we get the Lord's Prayer. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It's going to be on the screen. But if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take one. So at the back of the entrances, there's red Bibles. Go ahead and take one. That's our gift to you. And we'd love to have a Bible in everybody's hands uh, as we continue to grow in faith as a church. So Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is where we get the Lord's 
prayer. It sounds a little bit different than the way that we normally pray it. And also the way we pray it has sort of an ending that we call the doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. But this is where we get the Lord's prayer. This is how he starts. And what I want to do today is focus in on this portion. May your kingdom come soon. May your kingdom come soon. When you think about that word kingdom, what, what typically comes to mind? Maybe think about it in terms of a non-biblical way. Right? That, that word kingdom isn't in our normal everyday language, partly because of our government structure. In America, we have a democracy. We don't have kingdoms or a monarchy. We're not like the United Kingdom or the Kingdom of Jordan. Right? So we don't, we don't use that words in governmental terms uh, very much. We don't use the word kingdom. But if you think about it in more of a biblical term, maybe what comes to mind is the kingdom of God or, or the kingdom of heaven, sometimes it's referred to as. Or maybe sometimes we just think of it as heaven. Maybe that's the place that we go when we die. Maybe that's how you think of, of the kingdom. For the, the listeners of Jesus, they're probably actually thinking in terms of a government structure. When they hear that word kingdom, they're thinking more of a political term. And here's why we think that. Uh, First of all, when Jesus steps on the scene, one of the first things that he says in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke, in our synoptic gospels, one of the first things that Jesus says is, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand or near or among you. That's the common phrase that Jesus says all throughout the beginning of his ministry in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so they're, they're thinking governmental structure. And I want to show you why. If you, if you have a Bible and you want to quick turn to Isaiah, I want to invite you to turn to Isaiah 9. And I want to just quickly look at something. If you remember that term, it's because we talked about it, or you remember that verse, we talked about it in our Advent series over Christmas. And all throughout the month of December and into Christmas, we talked about Isaiah 9 verse 6 in a series we called, He Shall Be Called. And you might recognize some of this language. But here's why they're thinking this word government. I want to read verse 6, all of verse 6, and all of verse 7 as well. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That's what we talked about around Christmas. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. This is written several hundred years before Jesus even shows up on the scene. And when he shows up, he says, repent for the kingdom of God. The government of God is here. It's among you. This is what they're thinking when they hear Jesus say this. They're thinking, yes, finally, a new government, right? Because the governments that they have been used to, the kingdoms, the empires that they've been used to are Babylon and Persia and Assyria. And now in the first century, Rome, all these oppressive governments or kingdoms or empires that have been devastating the people of God for hundreds of years. And so they're ready for a change. They're ready for a takeover. They, they are interpreting Isaiah as a call to arms, to go to war. Yes, Jesus is gonna be king. We're going to be in charge once again. And the only way that your kingdom takes over the other kingdom is by going to war. That's what you do. That's how you accomplish peace in the ancient world is by going to war. This is how they interpret that last portion, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies. They're thinking military might. And Jesus is now here to start the revolt. And they're going to fight back. 
against Rome. This is what they're thinking. And so, of course, of course, it's really, really confusing when they look at the behavior of Jesus. They look at the activity of Jesus. They look at the things he's saying about the kingdom. It doesn't quite match up with what they were hoping for. He, he begins to heal people. He doesn't hurt them. He's forgiving people. He's actually saying, love your enemies. Don't defeat your enemies, but love them. He's inviting people that are on the outside into the inner circle. He's not judging them. He's not condemning them. He's hanging out with the notorious sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. This is what Jesus is doing. Doesn't quite look like what they thought of when they thought of the kingdom of God. So it's a little bit challenging for them. And also he starts talking about the kingdom of God like it's, it's like a mustard seed, a tiny little mustard seed. Or it's like yeast that enters into dough and spreads throughout the dough. I mean, these are kind of wimpy little terms, right? He doesn't compare it to anything that looks like a sword or, or an army. It's much smaller. Or if we were to bring it into more of a modern context, it's, it would be like Jesus comparing the kingdom of God not to the New England Patriots. Too soon? Yeah. I guess they're not as powerful as we thought they were. Or since it's baseball season, the kingdom of God isn't compared to like the New York Yankees, the dynasty that is the New York Yankees, right? If anything, if we want to carry the metaphor all the way through, he's probably saying the kingdom of God is more like the Minnesota Twins. <laughs> right? Oh, it's a cute little small market team. You know, they don't never really win big. They just win in our hearts, just for existing <laughs> but this is kind of the feeling that they're getting when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. It's different than what they were hoping for. It's different. It's confusing. Wait, Jesus, aren't you going to take over? When are we going to start? Let's go. And then we get to Luke 11. We get to Luke 11 and he says, now pray, may your kingdom come soon. What's that about? Wait, I, I thought, Jesus, you said, repent for the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. It's right now. It's among us. But now you're saying, pray for the kingdom to still come? That's really confusing. So which is it? Is the kingdom of God here now or is it not yet? Probably know the answer to this. Yes. Yes. It's here. And yet it's not fully in seminary, they use the term, the already not yet concept of the kingdom. It's here already, but it's not yet fully revealed. I want to illustrate this in a slightly different way. And as I do this, I want you to be not so concerned with physical locations. Because sometimes we think about that, we wonder, well, like, where is the kingdom of God? Where is heaven? Is it up? Is it, is it down? Is it among us? Where exactly is it? And I don't want us to be concerned so much with the physical locations, more so the dimension of what God is up to and what God is doing. And I want to illustrate it using these two uh, hula hoops. Now, the colors have no specific significance here. Uh, I was given these. Uh, my kids saw this and they're like, ew, dad, Packer colors, boo, Packers. You guys, that just warmed my heart. <sighs> I raised them right. I want you to think about it like this. Think about it in terms of God's space, and our space, God's space and our space. And when we think about God's space, 
We think about God's reign and rule, his complete reign and rule, not like the reign and rule of the kingdoms of this world that are governed by military might and force and oppression, but instead a reign and rule that is governed by love, healing, transformation, compassion, mercy, life, everything that is good is God's space. And then there's our space, earth, flesh, the world, created things. Now, naturally, our, our tendency is to want to think that, well, okay, so, so this must be the opposite stuff of God's space. This must be all the bad stuff, the gross stuff. And that's not entirely the picture that the biblical narrative gives us. It's a little bit different. See, what we see at the beginning, all the way in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, is actually God's space and our space are completely united, completely unified, in harmony. Heaven and earth are one almost like a perfect united marriage. And it's this beautiful picture. And God, when he's creating, when he's creating, what does he say? That was okay. It's not my best. No, he says, it's good. It's good, it's good. In fact, it's very good when he gets to humanity. But God's space and our space are completely overlapped. And so it's this perfect united relationship. Heaven and earth, God's space and our space as one. But then very quickly as the narrative unfolds, what happens? There's a fracture. And these two worlds, these two spaces become separate. And now all of a sudden, yeah, it does feel like, ugh, this is bad. There's brokenness. There's, there's shame at our nakedness. We feel exposed. There's all kinds of issues now in our space. And so there's there's a need and there's a desire for these two spaces to come back together again for redemption, for restoration. That's the hope of the people of God. And so immediately, immediately we see the grace and the mercy and the love of God right at the onset. He establishes a new relationship. We call it a covenant with God's people. And then he gives them something called the tabernacle, which eventually evolves into what we call the temple. The temple. Now, the temple is like God's space and our space being united once again. There's this, there's this middle area. The temple is heaven and earth united once again. It's God's space and our space coming together. And the temple is the space where hope and healing and forgiveness of sins takes place. And it's supposed to be a blessing to all people. And so the intention for the temple is really, really good. But over time, they recognize that the temple is actually really limited. It's really limited because it's only in Jerusalem. It's only in the middle of the city. You have to go there. Everybody has to travel from outside of Jerusalem to go to the temple to be able to experience the presence of God and to get the forgiveness of sins, to make sacrifices. And not only that, but only a select few were invited into the inner sanctum of the temple. They call that the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go into the center and experience the spirit of God. So it's limiting. It's only limited to a, a handful. And not only that, but over time, it gets worse and worse because the temple system becomes corrupt and filled with all kinds of greed and a power struggle. And so it's incomplete. It's an imperfect picture of God's space and our space coming together. It didn't quite, didn't quite succeed in what it was meant to be. 
And so it's kind of feeling more like this. And then several hundred years later, Jesus shows up. He shows up and what does he say? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Heaven and earth are united once again. God's space and our space have come together and now it's in the person of Jesus. No longer is it just this static building in one location. Now it's in the humanity of Jesus. We read in John chapter one that the word, the divinity of God becomes flesh. God's space enters into our space and they become one. Jesus embodies in himself what the temple was always meant to be, hope and healing and restoration and forgiveness of sins. And here's the cool thing. He doesn't just stay in this space. He goes out into our space. He comes to us and brings healing and hope and transformation. He's opening up the eyes of the blind. He's including people that were not allowed to be part of the temple system. He's actually including women in his ministry as well, which is a huge no-no in that day and age. He's taking the kingdom of God wherever he goes. He's bringing the activity of the kingdom of God. It's this beautiful picture of God's space entering into our space. And then he says, pray. Pray. May your kingdom come soon. This is where we can explain the already not yet concept a little bit more. It's this idea that when Jesus shows up on the scene, yes, the restoration project has begun, but it's not yet complete. Because remember, the original picture looks like this. They were completely unified. They were harmonious. God's space and our space were completely together. And so Jesus says, pray that this movement would continue to happen. And don't just pray, but actually act. Now you participate. You participate in this process of bringing the kingdom of God wherever it is that you go. You could almost say it like this, that we are called to advance the kingdom of God everywhere, one person at a time, by multiplying the hope and heartbeat of Jesus. This is, this is our mission and vision statement all wrapped into one. This is what we're about at Hosanna. This is what we want to be about. And those words advancing and multiplication, they indicate growth and expansion because we believe the final picture will look again, once again, like this when Christ returns. That's the promise of God and the hope of the Christian is that these two spaces, our space and God's space, will be completely united as one. We get a picture of this. We get a glimpse of this in the book of Revelation. We don't often quote the book of Revelation. It's kind of a challenging book. It's apocalyptic language often. And so it's a bit challenging to read from from time to time. But I want to read a portion. Before I do, I want to mention that uh, some of you saw this in the news this past week that Billy Graham passed away at the age of 99. And uh, some of you have different thoughts about Billy Graham, who he was, the different things that he said. One thing that is clear is he, he very much had an influence in the evangelical community. And one of the things that he said that I appreciate that's simple and yet profound is, I've read the last page of the Bible. It's all going to turn out okay. <laughs> Which I love that. Simple yet profound. And so what I want to do is, 
I don't want to read my last page of the Bible because it's actually the second to last page in my Bible. I want to read Revelation 21 verses 3 to 5 and just hear this as a vision for this future restoration project becoming complete. It says this, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain or cancer or depression or anxiety or mental health issues. I added my own. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. I'm making all things new. This beautiful picture of God's space entering into our space, his home becoming among us, among us. This exciting picture that we get when Christ returns. So what do we do with that right now? Because that feels like some off in the distant future thing that's gonna happen and that's exciting. But what do we do now? What do we do in the sort of in-between time? I wanna give you another metaphor to think about uh, to, to help it bring it down to earth a little bit more to, to our level. Uh, I've used this illustration before. It's the illustration of going to a movie. And I've, I've used this in our Monday night Lakeville Bible study. If you've been to our Lakeville Bible study, we're actually talking about this stuff. This is a big term for it is called eschatology. This is what we're talking about on Monday nights. And so if you have an interest in these kinds of things, uh, come, you're welcome to come on Monday nights. And we'll talk a little bit more about this for the, the, the next four weeks. But I've used this illustration there as it relates to the kingdom of God being here, but still coming. It's this idea of going to a movie. How many of you enjoy going to a movie theater? Going to see movies? Excellent. Okay, so what leads up to that moment? Well, usually you have to find out that that movie even exists, right? And maybe you're sitting at home, you're watching TV, a commercial comes on, and there's a trailer for a movie that you're really excited to go see. And so you're getting excited about it. You're anticipating. You've, you've marked it in your calendar when the date is, is, is coming, when that movie's coming out. And so you want to go see this movie. And not only that, but maybe you're getting so excited that you start inviting your friends or family members to go see it with you. There's kind of a communal aspect to it. You want to participate in this thing together. And then if you're super nerdy, like uh, Pastor Nathan, he knows we're friends. We're cool with that. Uh, he knows I'm saying this. If you are super excited about movies like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and Star Wars, then you actually dress up like the characters of the movie and you go to the theater. Raise your hand if you've done this. Be honest. Come on. There was one guy in the last service. I pointed him out. (laughs) You get super excited. You want to be part of this. Now, on one hand, you could say, well, when you saw the trailer, you already saw the movie in a sense. But not really, right? You only saw 30 seconds of it. So so you have an idea of what it might be like, but you don't have the full picture yet. And so you still want to go and be a part of the experience. You go to the movie theater, you get your ticket, you go to the concession stand, you get your popcorn, your massive bag of popcorn. And then if you're like me, you go and get like 10 pumps of butter, eh, maybe 20 pumps, and you get extra butter and you get the soda and the candy. And then you go and you sit down and you experience the whole movie experience. And it's amazing. The trailer was just a glimpse. It was exciting. It was fun to be able to see, to get an an idea of what it will be like. And it starts to get you excited and anticipating what's about to come. You 
invite others into this. But it's not the whole picture yet, right? When it comes to this idea of the kingdom of God, it's here. It's among us, and yet it's still coming. We're in the trailer stage right now. We've seen the trailer, right? The story has been written. The writer and producer, they've come together. We've seen the trailer, and now excitement and anticipation is building for this future moment, for this movie, for the experience of it. Let me ask you, what are you doing right now in the trailer stage? How are you living right now? Do you live as though you're in this trailer stage, you're in this sort of in-between time where you believe that Jesus is Lord, not just in some future day when he returns, but Jesus is Lord today. And the kingdom of God is here today, and yet it's still coming. There's still an overlap that we expect. Or, or is our faith all about, well, I just hope I go to heaven when I die someday. And the picture looks maybe a little bit more like this. See, there's, I mentioned a Billy Graham quote earlier, and it was a good one. He's also mentioned some other ones that are maybe a little bit different. He said, my home is in heaven, and I'm just traveling through this world. That's not a bad idea. It's a, sort of a nice thought. But if we're not careful, what that can imply is that the picture actually looks like this. That we're just in this space and our hope is to eventually get to this space, to God's space. And if that's our thinking, then yeah, we are just sort of traveling through this world. We're just sort of passing through, just trying to get by, hoping that one day we'll enter into God's space. But the challenge with that is that that's not the picture that Jesus gives us or the rest of the New Testament for that matter. See, Jesus in the Lord's prayer says, may your kingdom come soon. We add the statement on earth as it is in heaven. In our space as it is in God's space. May your will be done here. And then the the verse that we just read in Revelation, that God's home is among his people. He dwells with us. God's space invades our space and makes all things new. We're not just trying to escape this world so that we can get to this space. No, 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 no. God's kingdom is here among us now. Jesus is Lord today. And so now we live like that. Do we live like that? Do we live as though we're not just passing through, but we're actually engaging in the activity and the prayer life of the kingdom of God? Are we present in this moment? I want to get really, really tangible for us. I was thinking about this the last couple of weeks as I was preparing for the message and thinking that, okay, if I don't believe that I'm just passing through, then every interaction I have matters. It matters. It matters how we interact with people. It matters how we interact with the environment. It matters how we interact with the poor, with the sick, with the dying, with the mentally ill. It matters because we're not just passing through. And so I was thinking about this in a really tangible way when I go to a gas station or a grocery store or a coffee shop. What has happened uh, because of some cool technology is I now have a screen that I look at 
and I stick my card in there and I follow all the instructions that the screen tells me to do and then I get my stuff and I walk away and I could go that whole time without ever interacting with the person standing behind the counter. How many of us have done this? There's a real life person standing there with a soul and a story. And the entire time I'm standing there looking at a screen. And then for some of us multitaskers, we're looking at this screen and we're looking at another screen texting our friends. What do you want? Uh, Okay, double latte, frappuccino or something like whatever we're doing. We're, we're, We're constantly consumed with objects. And meanwhile, there's a real life person standing right here. I think of how many times I just pass people by. And that would be okay if I'm just traveling through this world. If my faith was all about, I just hope to go to heaven when I die someday. That's not the, that's not the image, that's not the lifestyle that Jesus gives us. We interact today. Right now, in this moment, the kingdom of God, the spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead is living within me. And so it matters how I interact with people. And so I, just this morning, I grabbed a cup of coffee from Holiday gas station. And I made it a point, because I knew I was going to be preaching about this. I made it a point to not look at the machine where I stick my card in, but to instead just look up and smile and just say, hi, how are you? Did you get out of your driveway okay? <laughs> right, to interact with people. And here's the thing. I want to challenge you to do this. This week, or, or maybe forever, but try this week When you go out shopping, go to a grocery store, to a gas station, to a coffee shop, to interact with the person that's standing behind the counter, it seems like such a small thing, but I guarantee you it's much bigger than you think it is. And don't fixate on the machine that gives you instructions on the card. I'll give you a tip. It will make this really loud beeping noise when it's time for you to take your card out, okay? You don't have to wait for it to tell you, please remove your card. It will tell you. So you can take that time to have a conversation with somebody. To show the love of Jesus to them. Now some of you are not going to have a problem with this at all. You're extroverts and you just jabber on. And in fact, there's like a whole line of people waiting for you. Come on, let's get moving. My wife is one of those people. I'm an introvert. I just want to move on. So it's more of a challenge for me. Engage in a brief conversation with somebody. Treat them as though they exist. That they're a human. That they have a story. Because how we live now matters because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's among you. And Jesus is Lord today and for all eternity. I want to close with this and I want to invite us to pray the Lord's Prayer again as we've been doing in just a moment. But I want to share a story. Uh, When I first got married, my wife and I, we'd... uh, We'd come here, we'd come to church, and they'd pray the Lord's Prayer at various times in the services. And whenever we do that, I would sort of, you know, get into my stance, and I'd pray the Lord's Prayer. And my wife would always reach over and, and reach for my hand to grab my hand and hold my hand while we would pray. And I, would, uh, I wouldn't recommend doing this if you want to, you know, keep your marriage going. I pulled it away. <laughs> I pulled my hand away because for me, it was, it was my time to focus on God. And, and so it was, you know, it was me and God time. And that's, that's how I viewed my faith at that moment. And after a while, we, you know, we'd have a conversation about this and she'd say, well, why, why are you pulling your hand away? And I would kind of explain or realize, come to the realization that prayer for me was always just, it was just me and God time. It was very individualistic. But what have we been talking about just for the last couple of weeks? Prayer is communal. It's corporate. It involves community. 
being together, it's a reminder that we're not alone. And she would tell me about her experience. She had a very healthy, very formative experience growing up in the Catholic church. And they would always hold hands when they pray the Lord's prayer. Almost as a reminder to say, we're not doing this thing alone. We're in it together. And at the very end, when they get to the doxology part of the prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. They would lift up their hands, almost like a declaration to say, yes, yes, the kingdom of God is here and still coming. And God is in charge through love and through healing and through hope. So I want us to do that today because I think it's a much richer experience if we can touch somebody to recognize that we're in this thing together. If we can hold a hand and we can raise our hands in declaration of God's kingdom coming. So I wanna invite you to stand if you are able. And if you're a little bit spread out, I wanna have you come across the aisles. And we're gonna hold hands if you're not sick. If you're not sick, we're gonna hold hands together. And then when we get to the end portion, I want us to raise our hands when we say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let's say it with enthusiasm and then we're gonna sing together. So let's pray this, this prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together.